All right. We made it. Yeah, through Transfiguration. Third season. I'm ready. I don't want to talk about Transfigurations. It's really awful. Yeah, I know. Let's talk more Synthahol. Okay, that's it. Now let's move on to Best of Both Worlds. Okay. No, I, um... My, my, My feelings towards Transfigurations, I guess, were kind of a bell curve. Like, I hated the beginning. Then it got pretty decent for a while. And then it really sucked. What was the decent part? There was a couple of minutes there where I thought it could be interesting. There were two minutes out of 45 that were interesting. Okay. When I thought that they were going to... See, okay. Now, you know, this is a Space Jesus episode. And I figured if they were going to make a Space Jesus episode and they fully just committed and made a Space Jesus episode, it would have been terrible, but okay. But then again, like, this is... This is one of those episodes that makes you remember, right, it was the 80s. It was 1990. It was still the 80s as so far as these writers So you obviously have no concerned. idea what is going on in the world or in Star Trek in general. It was just so new agey. I just, well, I, well, that's interesting. I, I, why do you say it's very 80s? Because of the new ageiness to it. You know, you see that as kind of a... It, 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 I mean, I don't know. I, going, I don't... With the, going into this context of the whole, here's a ship of people who get along, and we're going to show the next evolution, and everybody's kinder, and that whole kind of undercurrent. You know I don't know, I mean? because I think that I, I've always sort of interpreted New Age as sort of an element of, of, of sort of mysticism and bells and, and crystals and things like yeah. that, and, and flowery, you know, flowery skirts. I don't know that I would necessarily say that this is New Agey. I think it's just sort of... Uh, it's very uh, earnest in its approach and it's very sort of, I've always sort of considered this more of the, um, the United Nations Star Trek than anything else. You know, everybody's going to get along and this is the multicultural era and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, But, you know, I I guess I see those as kind of two halves of the same basic ideals, but you know, that, that said, you know, that's, that's a fair point. Okay. I, I, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the, the I, th- again, the thought of somebody who represents the next evolution of their humanity and is healing people left and right and is a being of light at the end, that does he's, sound like he's a, he's not human. He's Zalconian, number one. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like this episode was probably the worst of the season. And That's it's one of unfair. it's one of the worst episodes of the show so far. Uh, yeah. I, I this episode would not have been out of place in the first or second season. And Ow. the reason I say that is because the first ten minutes are entirely techno babble, which is something that the show really hasn't done before. Um, you know, techno babble is one of those things that Star Trek has a bad reputation for, but I don't really see a lot of evidence for the next generation living up to that and so when the show does that it it stands out it's noticeable you have medical techno babble and you have sort of science fictiony techno babble at the same time and religious philosophy techno babble too in a way yeah the whole thing is techno babble and so you know when 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 Worf is in Ten Forward and he says uh, you know something like less talk, more alcohol. It's mm-hmm. like yeah, that pretty much sums up what I've been watching for the you know first ten or fifteen minutes. And then yeah, it gets a little better, but I, I never really get a sense of 
who John Doe is as a person other than the idealized version of what everybody wants someone like this to be. Uh, and the very end of the episode basically comes out of nowhere, makes no scientific sense I've whatsoever. I've suddenly remembered everything, and I'm going to molt. Yes. That's... <laughs> and it then becomes an exercise in wish fulfillment, I believe. Yeah, it's the kind of episode that's making some philosophical points, but it's using this very contrived situation in order to make them, and therefore the points that it's making don't really work in the real world in a way. I guess that's kind of why I thought that they were going to go, again, full-on Space Jesus with that to be, oh, you know, again, it would be cheesy, but it would be an example of here, here's, well, you know, what would happen if Jesus came back in the, in the, in the Star Trek thing? Yeah, it, it would be, that would be stupid. It would be stupid. It would be less stupid than what we got. And I think that, I think that that's a valid interpretation of the episode, but I also think that that, uh, is evidence for your lack of knowledge of Star Trek because Star Trek doesn't really do religion. I didn't think, I mean, Um, or it doesn't do, I mean, it does in deep space nine, but uh, on the whole, it doesn't really do religion and it especially doesn't do earth religion. I I guess is a better way of putting it. So, uh, you know, I don't even know if the show ever mentions Jesus by name ever. Uh, They could have done it in a way, which was, um, you know, if they wanted to connect it to general, you know, messianic figures in a way, like they could have done that and liberated it a bit from a specific Earth context, as in, you know, well, this was, you know, this legend, but on the on the planet, you know, whatever, they had this legend, and here's this coming, you know, and that's I mean, kind of where I thought that they were going with it, because in so many ways, this did match that kind of a story. I mean, again, you literally have somebody who comes back from the dead, heals people, and ascends into heaven at the end. I mean... Which which they which they kind of did way back in Bread and Circuses. Now I'm just contradicting myself, but I'm remembering that episode where they had that whole thing about the sun and, and, and the cult and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think that they ever really mentioned Jesus by name, but the sort of end but of the episode was kind of... But you know who it's supposed to be. Yeah. Right, exactly. And, you know, that was uh, a, a not a great episode. So... You know, I don't, I don't, you know, the, the show is basically 0 for 2 for doing Jesus figures, I think. Yeah. And, or the franchise, I should say. And, you know, what one of the reasons I think why it, it, it doesn't work a lot is because the character of John Doe is a cipher. And there is no uh, characterization there whatsoever. We have yeah. no idea who he is. We have no idea what he wants. He has no idea who he is or what he wants. Right. And, and that's a problem because there's no... Uh, there's no real plot there other than who is this guy? Well, let's figure out. Uh, we never really figure it out. We just find this ship and then suddenly he becomes... Yeah, he, 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 he learns things about himself, not because of any reason, but because, you know, okay, well, it's page 20 of the script and we need to have another plot beat on. So, you know, all right, now it's page 35, you know, and... He needs to learn something, so let's just have it happen. Right. It seems like the like for example, the decision to have him have magical healing powers is not uh, is is not organic in any way. It's just something else to ratchet up the tension in the yeah. episode. It seems, uh, frankly, it seems arbitrary, and there seems to be no reason for it other than they needed something else to happen. And you know that's a problem because the show has become very good at tightly tightly scripted plots that are sort of logically uh, internally consistent and are also interesting to watch and this is neither you know like i like what it did 
much as I don't like Jordy, I have to admit, I just don't like Jordy. Um, and they're very much in this episode going with Jordy's personality is he's bad with women, but hapless virgin is not the character choice that I would have gone for Jordy, but it's a character choice. It's something. So it's something for him to do, I guess. But I mean, like in this episode, you know, he has this connection to John Doe and he gets just a little bit more confidence. I mean, I, I lo- did love Worf's line. He very self-satisfied. I've been tutoring him. <laughs> like, that was good. Worf is the only good part of this episode, by the way. I would um, say so, yeah. Because those two lines, Worf was just hit him right. Um, but, you know, where where Jordy gets a little bit, just tiny bit better by having interacted with this person. And, you okay. know, it, it's the kind of thing where it would have, I think it would have maybe been more, of, and here again we're talking about the episode that it could have been which is always a problem but you know maybe if he didn't have healing powers but he was the kind of person who everybody was a little bit more confident a little bit better than better than they normally are when they're around this guy that might have been something but here's my problem with that interpretation yeah did you notice in the very beginning of the episode when dr crusher hooks up the magic buttons on their heads that there is a special effect which something some sort of energy goes from John Doe to Jordy. Yeah, I, I and, you know, and it, it, I, I will say, I, at the that feels like that feels like in an earlier version of the script, that was the reason why John Doe had amnesia because he put his brain into Jordy, but. It's never mentioned. It's never explained. Well, the implication so, is that Jordy, because that's the same effect that they use when he heals someone, essentially. Now, it, it, it was the thing that when I watched it at the time, I thought that was just kind of a shorthand for the technology working. You know, they wanted to, to, to blink or something like that. I so. don't think so. But, I, you know, it's, it's the same effect that John Doe uses whenever, when he heals Worf. There's a much bigger light show, but it's the same basic effect. So I think the implication, and you know, this could probably bring up some more implications, is that Jordy has his confidence muscle broken, and that by attaching to this guy, it heals his confidence. I don't buy it because the, well, that's what the show wanted you to buy. I don't think so because I, I don't I don't buy that reading of the of the special effects, and for this reason, John Doe needs to make physical contact with them. There's no sort of like transference of energy. He touches the body, and the body glows. He's not sort of like sending energy to them through. Yeah, the but this air. is just a mental. This is just a confidence boost. It's not as much. I a physical I, thing. I I still don't buy it because the brain is mental. The brain is chemical. Like there, it, 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 the brain is not some sort of magical thing may, 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 may it I, works may, because it's physical may i make a point here though no that implies that this episode was a lot better thought out than it probably was uh, yeah and <laughs> I, I agree with you it, it's not very well thought out yeah. but but we're here to criticize it and this, I, I guess this, the fact that we can have these two totally contradictory interpretations of this one scene and neither of them really work is a sign of a f- this, that's more of a sign of a flaw than, well, they made something that makes sense, but it's stupid. My point is that the subplot with Jordy is never explained. That's yeah, my problem with it. Yeah. Like, to, to, in my interpretation, he has a part of John Doe in his mind, and now Jordy is part alien for the rest of the series. That's what that's what I take away from it. You take away something different. I think that's probably the sign of a bad script. Yeah. Certainly there's room for interpretation and there's room for, uh, you know, sort of um, uh, ambiguity. But 
No, it's more vague. This is just vague, and it's just poorly thought out. I mean, like, I will say, it seems like the Geordie was something that they forgot till the very end, because, I mean, as I was watching it, you know, one of the things I was thinking, I'm like, Geordie and this guy have not had a scene since he woke up. Like, Geordie wouldn't want to check in and make sure the guy who he was, you know, saw dying, you know, he, he didn't have five minutes to stop by the sick bay, because I would think that... He would have at some point in these months, you know, everybody. Well, yeah, I was about to say the the implication is that everybody else on the ship at some point, you know, just because this was such a I mean, this is all that Dr. Crush was talking about. So, yeah, I'm sure every single person who she knows. okay, let me go. Let me let me I I have a break now. Let me meet this guy. You know, I think that Jordy would want to see kind of just the follow-up on it, you know? Oh, I helped save this guy's life. I Now let me see in that, that he's awake, you know? Well, that was exa- I mean, I was about to make that exact point. The episode takes place over a, at least a couple of months. It's so lo- Yeah, it's one of the longer uh, it, time it, frames. But the problem with it is that there's, there's, no, there's no real sense of passage of time in this episode. I mean, yes, John Doe gets better and stuff, but, you know, since he's not human and since he, he is said to have extraordinary healing abilities... Uh, we we don't we have no basis of we have no basis for reference about how long it's actually supposed to take him to get better, and so you know it just yeah, it seems to be point, a problem there. There's one point where it's I, there was something that implied that it had been about a month since the accident, and you know Doctor Crusher says you know my now my prognosis is about six weeks. So let's even say you know again two three months at the most. That's about. But, you know, and all the Enterprise is doing is just kind of hanging out and mapping or whatever. We have seen the series do episodes that are over a period of time before. There's been, they've been few and far between because usually, you know, it's much more, it's much more interesting to have a compressed time. You know, it's, it's greater stakes and all of that. Yeah, but this episode doesn't do that well. No, it doesn't This episode at all. doesn't do really anything well. No, and and it, it, it's also I, I okay. So I want to talk about Beverly Crusher because this is I want to say the only Beverly centric episode that we've ever had. I don't remember another one, and it's not that great. I we need to talk about Beverly Crusher because let's let's sit down and talk about her. Okay, she, she listen, Beverly. You are not doing well here. I'm sorry. You don't fit in. I and miss Dr. Pulaski. Yeah, I have to say. I fucking love Dr. Pulaski by the end. For for whatever Pulaski's faults were, I found her to be an interesting character who worked well in the show. Picture Dr. Pulaski written by the season three writers. Yeah, she would have been great. Yeah. I, I just it, there's there's no you know and I this is not the fault of of Gates McFadden in any way shape or form no, I think she she's she's nothing a, to work with she's a fine actress but yeah she she frankly has nothing to work with I mean and it, this is a problem with with both of the female main characters frankly that they're both sort of ciphers and and their personalities seem to be just reacting to anything that is happening to them you know I, I don't I frankly and that was not the case with Pulaski no that was not the case with Pulaski and I think you know the problem with Pulaski is that. <sighs> yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm trying to formulate this in a way which isn't based in sexism, but I think it's at least partially based in sort of an unthinking subconscious sexism because Gates McFadden and Marina Sirtis are both attractive young women. And, you know, 
Pulaski, I don't even remember what her name was, uh, the actress who plays her, is not. And so they were forced to give her other things by dint of fact that she wasn't like the other character, the other women on the show. Which I think it was interesting because there were moments, because it was, I, I don't know, because Pulaski did have a very, you know, mature adult sexuality to her. I mean, it's mentioned that she's had several husbands she's had relationships she does there are men that she has had you know romantic things with but and even you know even that moment with Worf with the tea ceremony like that was a fairly erotically charged scene like they have been able they were able to give Pulaski an after hours you know adult life in a way which didn't you know define the character but was still in her in the background yeah and I, I just feel like in this episode especially, you know, th- this is a wasted opportunity because we don't really learn anything new about Beverly Crusher other than she wants a boyfriend. And and I, that's not interesting. No. I mean, she's, a, she's supposed to be a capable doctor who is at the top of her game. She was head of Starfleet Medical for a year, for Christ's sake. I mean, this is a woman who was at the, is at the pinnacle of her career, and she's a great doctor. And what we get from her in her first outing is, I want a boyfriend. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It just feels weird to me. Yeah, and- I mean, and, and especially considering that any time, I mean, I mean the, the, this issue has mostly come up with, you know Picard when the ep- you know when the show goes to they have some kind of history together and usually the upshot of between the two of them is that you know it's on if it might have been and maybe if the the world had been different but at the same time you know Doctor Crusher has enough to keep herself busy right now you know what I mean that's not her priority and and for, I mean and I don't want to I don't want to frame this in such a way that I think that 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 it's it's inappropriate or or, or not a good thing that that you know female characters no. don't you know have romantic relationships I think it's fine but I don't think that you can define the female characters by the romantic relationships and I think in large part they've done that with both Troy and Beverly Crusher and, and I just think it's a problem you know frankly she's a non-entity in her own episode she she's she's not doing anything except reacting to other people that's it she gets impressed by john doe and that's about what she does and and then of course she also has a really creepy scene with her son who is leering at her and is browbeating her into admitting that she wants to fuck john doe i mean it's it's just weird yeah that i get well here's a case where we can't say it's you know will weed and dealing with bad material because it was Will Wheaton. He wasn't the greatest actor, he, even good he, material. He's not the greatest actor, and I think there's a way to make that scene work, and he, yeah. he either was unwilling or unable to do it. Yeah, I didn't know. there's a way that that could have been a cute scene with, I mean, <laughs> Wes would certainly have feelings about anyone that his mother would be interested in, certainly. Sure. And... There's, it, it it didn't seem that anybody, it, it, he was, he, while he likes John Doe, it doesn't seem that he's dealing with any of the reactions that he would towards, you know, is this person a good one for my person for my mother? Is this person somebody who's good to be my stepdad? You know, is that, no, he's ask, acting like a girlfriend to her in a way. Yeah. And it just feels <laughs> like maybe that scene was written for Marina Sirtis and 
she was unavailable or something. I don't know. I you know I'm just trying to come up with facts. No, like that, that <laughs> facts <laughs> to fit the situation, and it's just not a good scene. I mean, it was really disturbing. It, oh my god! Like it's oh my god! Now I'm remembering the one with um with Doctor Crusher and. And Troy, and when they're in like aerobics class, do you remember oh, that? What yeah. episode was that? I don't remember, but yeah, I remember that scene. <laughs> You're ultra ultra limber today. Well, uh, let's talk about boys. Ugh. I think boys are cute. Do you think boys are cute? <laughs> and they're doing like their like tandem like jumping jack thing. Yeah, weren't they like doing something where they were sitting with their feet yeah. together and they were like, <laughs> on each other like a like a hobby horse or something. <laughs> And the mirror, I I don't know. And oh, what, thank God it wasn't Wes in that scene. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, I, and I guess finally what we need to talk about is, is energy beings. Uh, no, they, no. They make, we, we, we don't need to talk about energy beings. They, they make their triumphant but return. But it wasn't, no, it wasn't an energy being. It was a guy in a spandex suit. But he was an energy being because he flew off into space at the end. I know, and maybe he wasn't an energy being, and so we immediately suffocated to death, and we don't have to deal with this episode. We can hope for that. I, I do not like this episode. Can 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 Star Trek please stop doing evolution plots? They obviously don't understand how evolution I, works. I was going to say, yeah, that's that's a big thing. Like, they're... they're... Evolution is not does not work like this. No. You don't suddenly have an energy being. It it why like I don't it, There is I would say the phrase next stage in evolution is a it's nonsense me- Yeah, it's, it's a nonsensical statement completely. There is no there is no next stage in evolution. There evolution are, there's is an, not a There's an infinite number of next stages essentially, but or a, a, an indefinite number and yeah. It's one of those, I mean, you know, it, it's there. they seem to have this idea that evolution is an incremental step up a ladder. And when you get to the top, you're the top of everything. And, and then you become an energy being. And then yeah. you become an energy being. And like, that's not how evolution works. I mean, you could imagine a situation where, say, humanity uh, would be selected for, for less intelligence for whatever reason. Eric, right? the next and, stage and, in human evolution is we don't have appendixes or tonsils. In, in, <laughs> in you know, 100,000 years... Uh, the dominant species on Earth might be a version of humans that is dumb because that's just as how thing were how things worked that's out. What was it's it's whatever had more of an advantage to breed, and yeah. they're all just kind of like you know living in the ruins of industrial and civilization. Let me put it this way: he's not exactly breeding his species. He has uh, Doctor Crusher seemed pretty willing. I don't know. I don't want to think about that. Oh, I was going to say, but like in his little body stocking. He doesn't He doesn't have a a, a, a a penis. No, no. He takes the body stocking off and he looks just as he normally does. I just, no. It was a terrible episode, Eric. No, zero, zero body stockings. Zero body stockings. All right, let's wrap it up with The Best of Both Worlds. Part one. No, that's it. They never wrote another one. Oh my god! And that's when the series ended. It was a really weird, like, series finale. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Why is this only part one, Eric? Why did we have to split this up in two weeks? <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, yeah. Like, could we? Couldn't we have just skipped? You know, the energy being episode and like watched both parts of this. So I know the broad. I knew the broad outline that Picard at some point becomes a Borg. I, I've known that. Yeah, that that's kind of a you know that's a that's a generalized spoiler at this point. I didn't know. I now I didn't know the exact circumstances between that, and I actually thought it was in one of the movies that that happened. Um, but 
yeah, this was a really st- – this is a scary episode. I liked this episode a lot. This is another one of those episodes that I think is difficult to talk about because it is so outsized in the culture. And this was the episode – this really was the episode that put The Next Generation on the map. Guess, like, yeah. Uh, when they wrote this episode and when it aired, I think it aired in June of 1990 – Um it drove people nuts. I mean, it was a legitimate cultural phenomenon. Like, you know, magazines were writing about the show and they were saying what was going to happen. People wanted to know what happened when the show came back in the fourth season, the ratings were like two or three points higher. It was this, this was the, the make or break moment for the show in a lot of ways. And this made the show. Uh, I was, I was actually watching uh, one of the documentaries on the third season, Blu-ray and uh, Renee Acavaria, who wrote uh, Transfigurations, uh, <laughs> and was later murdered. And was later murdered uh, at a Star Trek convention uh, by fans um, dressed as Klingons with batleths. Um, That's exactly how he always dreamed he would go out. It is. Oh, R.I.P. Renee. Um, that uh, it, it, it's kind of a it's kind of a misnomer to think that the writing staff knew what they were doing in the third season. Like they all thought that, you know, they were just in the trenches trying to make the schedule. You know, they were all burnt out at the end of the year. Um, and, and they were kind of like, we wish people had told us that we were turning the corner during the third season. Like it was a hindsight thing. Like people watching the third season now and this sort of like, well, the first two seasons of TNG are crappy and the third season when it really turns around, that was not obvious yeah. to the people working on the show. Um, which, Which I, maybe is why it was so good because you know I think so I, I you know and 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 you know I also find like honestly that uh, it, it's overstated a little bit that the first two seasons are unmitigated crap because I yeah. think yes the first season is generally not very good and I think that there we, are probably if uh, you know a, a handful of episodes from the first season that are that are watchable um, the second season I feel like is a sh- you feel it as a show in transition and there are many more good episodes than bad episodes in the second season, even if it's not exactly the show that people remember. And in the third season, of course, is when everything came together and it became the show that we know. Well, have yeah, And that's, I think having watched the first three seasons and only the first three seasons, plus some very late episodes, I am getting the sense that it's less that the first two seasons were bad, but it's more they're from a different show. They're from a different way that this show could have gone, and the third season is when it kind of branched off into a better show. Yeah, exactly. Like, that, there was a version, uh, there is a, there's an alternate universe in which season three was the same show as season one or two, and that was its last season. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and you know, what, what I think you see with Best of Both Worlds, unconsciously or not, is... You know, Michael Pillar, who wrote the episode, who was the showrunner in the third yeah. season, kind of throwing down the gauntlet and saying, you know what? You don't think we're Star Trek. You don't think that, you know, we are the rightful heir to the name. Well, you know, fuck you. Here, here's what we're going to do. Uh, and it's it's masterful. I mean, there's there's no other way to put it. It, it is w- one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever aired. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the surface plot of the episode is... Again, it's a very tense episode. It's a, everybody has something interesting to do. You know, what's going on is you want to find out what's happening next. You know, I've, it's a great cliffhanger. What the hell is going to happen in the next episode? How are they going to save Picard? You know, how are they going to stop the Borg? I mean, the, you know, that's really cool. But also the interpersonal stuff and what's going on with Riker are fascinating in and of themselves. And it's also, it's teasing out 
a lot of things about Riker's character that, you know, the show has left kind of unsaid, but at now it's the way the show is dealing with continuity. Um, it does it in a, again, it's done it in a way that was more than I expected it to. Basically, every single episode of this show does happen, and they do refer to a lot of the emotional beats at the very least. I mean, we've seen Riker turn down a commission before. That wasn't just an isolated, oh, this happened in an episode, but it didn't happen. I mean, this is the episode where it said, well, that did happen, and here's how that's being viewed by mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. everybody. You know, we have, because we do have our opinion of why, we know why Riker is staying on the Enterprise. But people in Starfleet have a very different view, and I think when they bring it up to Picard, I mean, Picard doesn't really want to deal with the fact that he's going to have to lose his first officer, but, you know, when it's presented to him, he can't help but say, no, that that's right, he is, a, he is past the point, he is does need to make that next step, you know, I do need to push Riker to the next command. Yeah, and I think it's, I think it's actually a really interesting choice, because... It, it it's obviously something that um, I think fans were asking. You know, R- Riker, why why is Riker still on yeah. the show? You know, like th- this this doesn't make any sense, right? And and this is kind of the show's attempt at answering that in a way, um, because what you see from it is, you know, if you think back to the way Riker was in in the first season, he yeah. was very young, he was very brash. I mean, he 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 was. Mu- I think he was much more of a sort of action character than he's become. And you know, it's interesting to see. Uh, just in three years, yeah. how much he's sort of grown up and aged, and and as Troy says, seasoned. Yeah. Um, but he is kind of uh, not the old man, but but he's he's very comfortable in his role in the Enterprise, and he understands the crew, and he understands the ship, and he feels at home there, and he's happy. And yeah. I like that the show uh, comes up with a valid reason for why he's staying that doesn't seem half baked. Well, it's funny. This is not that different from Wesley's reasons for staying. And yeah, I think that's true. Actually. It's very, you know, they, I mean, they, they have made it very. And frankly, it, a lot of the characters, actually, pretty much all of the characters, if it's addressed why they're staying on this particular ship. I mean, Dr. Crusher came back uh, the episode with uh, the, the recent episode with, you know, Menage a, a Troy, you know, Loxana Troy is saying, well, why are you staying on the ship? You know, you right. can, and Troy saying, no, this is this is where I belong. I'm really happy here. You know, this is my, you know. All of the characters view this as a surrogate family. I mean, that's a fairly standard dynamic for a show like this. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I like that the show makes it clear that that could that goes both ways, though. Because there are there are sacrifices possible, involved, it's po- and it's possible to be too comfortable. You know, it's possible to be too safe. I mean, in, I remember in the first season and even the second season, it was kind of clear that Riker is in a very good position. He's in the sexiest ship in the fleet. He's working as the as the second in command for one of the greatest captains in Starfleet at this moment. Like he is in a position where he's going to learn a lot. Yes, he's going to see a lot of cool stuff he wouldn't on his own. But now he's at the point where you know, he he can't hide behind. Well, I'm still a little too inexperienced. I'm not ready yet. You know, everybody's saying, "No, it's time." You know. And, you know, I really liked this episode because the conflict between Riker and Shelby is so much more vitriolic and, frankly, obvious than any other conflict has been on this show because of that mandate that all the crew has to get, you know, along with each other, really. As a non-crew member, they're kind of exempt from that 
with each other, and their fights are bloody. Yeah, well, I I want to talk about Shelby and Riker, but but I want to I want to maybe say one final thing about about Riker and um you know sort of his career. You know, I think that it's it's one of those things that I, I I like because you know the show is sort of dealing with the idea that that it's enough to be happy and that maybe careers and everything and you know Riker is ambitious and it has gotten him to this point as the first officer of the flagship of the of of, of Starfleet. Yeah. And he's very happy there. And maybe that's enough for him. Like maybe he doesn't need to be captain. And so, but, but at the same time, as, as Shelby points out very dramatically as, as her existence points out really that that is a tenuous uh, place for him because yes, Picard's never going to force Riker to leave. No. But at the same time, Riker is having forces come out from above, from below him in the yeah. form of 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 younger hungry officers that want the position that he is in. And so if Riker had been the first officer on a random ship, he may not be in this position, but because he is in such a high profile position, yeah, he, he has a target on his back. And and it's really sort of like shit or get off the pot. Other people want to use the bathroom. There's yeah to be I mean, gross about it. No, but she I mean she pretty much says like, you know, if you can't make the you know, you need to be making the hard decisions or somebody else will. Like there is a point where right now at this point Yes, Riker may be the best man for the job as the first mate of the Enterprise, but if people, you know, people are going to show him up, he's and that's it's going to be at a point where Picard's because Picard does have loyalty to Riker and everybody has loyalty to Riker, but it's going to come to a point when he is going to be too careful and he is going to be outclassed by people if he just kind of stays comfortable. He all he's really worried about at this point, and he kind of makes it clear, like. He just wants to make sure that the ship is safe. And that is an important thing. The show does not make any bones about the fact that, you know, it is a very good thing that he is protecting every single person on the ship to the best of his ability. That's what you need. He is willing to. But at the same time, they're not going to, in a way, reach their full potential just by being safe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yet it's interesting to contrast that to the Borg, who are greed and ambition just to a cancerous degree. Yeah, and I think, you know, the Borg in this episode, while the Borg had to come back at some point, I think, you know, if if, if it had been left, um, you know, as Q, who was the only appearance of the Borg, I don't know that that no. would have worked or that would have been satisfying, you know. And I like the fact that it took them so long to have them come back because it does make it seem like they sort of, you know, had their Borg convention and thought about it and then going, all right, we're going to invade them with one ship. Yeah. And how scary is it that it's one ship, and, by the way? I was gonna say, and the fact that they've all taught, you know, at one point the, the Admiral mentions like that was, you know, X number of light years away and that was a year ago. Like they, that that's how far they went in a year. And, you and there's, know. I mean, and there's a lot of nice little touches in the episode, you know, little details because, you know, for example, uh, Picard asks data if it's the same, you know, cube yeah. and, and data says, well, I, I don't know, but it's yeah. the same dimensions. And so that means one of two things, yeah. either it's the same ship or the Borg are that exact. And either one is scary. Either one is possible. I mean, either one is possible. They've made it very well. clear yeah. that if anybody can make, Ships to the same exact degree, yeah. Um, and so what I what I like about this episode is that, you know, um, and I do want to go back to Shelby, but I think we can talk about the Borg here, is that 
they are the antithesis of of the federation and sort of a, of, of of alpha quadrant society right because yeah they're here they 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 want a spokesperson in in picard as we find out at the end of the episode when they when they assimilate picard and and great we see picard looking terrified at one point that was <laughs> yeah, yeah you see all of the characters looking scared at some point in this episode and that's the kind and that's one of those the, the things that, that's very disconcerting too right because the, the, this is a very serious thing i mean this this is an invasion by a hostile force that that really is almost impossible to stop and could spell the end of the federation and and they they really do a great job of highlighting that on a tv yeah. budget i mean you know we are talking about a syndicated television show from 1990 but you know the music uh, is 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 very stark. Yeah, and they've I mean, never really used that kind of music yeah. before on the show. Um, you know the all of the reactions of the characters. Everyone is playing this deadly serious. Well, all they need to do is really have Picard walking through the ship and say, you know, and Guinan just says, you know, well, that's what a doom. You know, people think if you're not going to win the battle, like that's. <laughs> That's all you need to say. That, that, like, that's, really. Yeah, that's a Every, great. There's, that, there's that's a great scene. Yeah, there's and where she's uh, and the most hope that Guinan can give is that well, he, it's not going to completely wipe out humanity, just most of them. You know, like and maybe in a, maybe in a thousand years, you guys. Will yeah, come back. like and she's saying that not in any kind of cynical way, but just as like this is the most hope I can give you, and and even worse than that. She's speaking from experience, yes, <laughs> which makes it even worse mm-hmm. because this happened to her race. Yeah, yeah. And I like that they keep it vague. I, I don't think that we need to know the details of what happened to her people. We I, know enough at this point. Yeah, I think I think the the broad outlines work better than anything else. It's I, not impossible to think that one of the drones that they killed was one of Guinan's people. Sure, why you not? <laughs> That's know? probably. If it wasn't that exact one, there was a Borg cube that has, you know, Guinan's race on it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so I think that that is that makes the threat very real because it has affected a character that we've come to know and like. Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing about the Borg is that in this episode, they really do paint them as uh, this sort of mass entity, which just has this driving force to it, right? Yeah. Because in the, in the first one, they, they focused a little bit more on the individual Borg. And yes, they were a collective and they beamed over to the ship, but it didn't seem as massive as it did in this episode. I mean, you know, they were able to expand the set and they were also able to do sort of that matte painting effect where they yeah. they make the ship, they, they show you what the interior of the ship actually looks like and it's huge. And and that they have that, you know, sort of voice thing where they're all talking together and they beam over to the ship and it's just waves and waves of war yeah. coming at them. And it's just it seems very relentless in a way which uh, enemies don't seem in this show. No, there's the the implication in that scene is that no matter how many they shoot, there's going to be another one. You know, there there's effectively unlimited board right now there's an infinite number right and 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 this is one ship out yeah. of out of how many we don't yeah. know and and if they you know and and let, let's face it they defeat this ship in another year there'll be another one you know that that's kind of that that's they don't even bring that up in this episode but that's that's in the back of everybody's mind too you know this is again this is one ship Right. This is this is one ship. So how are they going to save Picard? How are they going to do? Why do we have to watch Transfiguration? It had to happen. No, it didn't. Yes. I I I think that um I want to talk about Shelby because I think Shelby's a really interesting character and yeah. she's a type of character that I don't think we've seen on the show before. 
we've seen assholes on the show and we've seen sort of jerks and we've seen admirals that are assholes and all these kind of things. And I like the fact that the admiral in this episode is not a jerk. No, he's, he's good. <laughs> he's, he's very down to earth and he just seems with it. And he's kind of like, yep. All right. You know, uh, Shelby is, you know, something if we only don't like her because she's a, 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 a it, it, this is the kind of stuff that, I mean, it makes it clear that she is kind of what Riker was when, you know, even a few years ago. I mean, this is the kind of, the things that she does when she beams down an hour early, that's the kind of stuff that Riker would do. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Riker is seeing this from, in a way, the the daddy chair, in a way, and he's seeing like, you know, oh, you know, th- this is an incredible risk, this is, and her reasons, I think, are sound, you know, I think she just said, I was up early, you know, I, there was this storm coming in, I figured, why not, you know, I could either waste time, you know, for an extra hour, or I could get work done, here it is, you know, and, you know, every, you know, she doesn't really get, and I don't want, she doesn't really get angry with him until he kind of pushes her into that and he you know when she says that you know look you either move away or you know people like you know me or someone like me is going to to, you know you're in my way right at the same time you know really she wants to be the first officer of the enterprise and she does think that you know from her point of view when she's given her command she's not going to spin her wheels you know no matter what ship she's serving on she is she wants that she's very hungry and she assumes, I think, at the beginning that he would be as well. And, you know, I don't think she even, you know, when she says to him, like, oh, I'll get your job, like, that's, I don't think, intended as an insult from her view. Like, I think that's her saying, like, you know, don't worry, this place is going to be in good hands. You know, give me some tips. You know? Yeah, and I, you know, I actually think it's interesting because, you know, if you if you look at sort of the, the, the arc of her character in just this one episode, and, you know, we don't know that much about her. But, no. you know, and I think it's interesting that you say that we don't like her because I actually do like her. And, you know, I, I wonder if I like her because I've seen this episode so many times. And so I, I, I kind of... I'm, I'm kind of. It's it, the kind. Well, it's the kind of thing where you know our sympathies are genuinely gonna, generally gonna be with Riker just because we've been spending week after week. For yeah, him and she's the person that's acting against him. But but I don't think the she, episode makes it clear that he might be wrong. I was gonna say I don't think she's wrong. No, you know, and I, I think that the, that that's one of the strengths of the episode is that both of their points of view are sort of given uh, the 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 space to breathe that they that they are. It's an interpersonal conflict. These are just two people. In some ways, they're too alike to like each other. Yeah, they don't they don't like each other. No. And they just they, they work together fine, but they don't like each because other because they're both professionals. Right. I was worried they were gonna make them love interests for each other, and then someone now we don't know what's gonna happen in part two. But I. I, I'm glad that they. That's not where they went with this. Oh yeah, that would have been horrible. Yeah, but fr- you can and, see. And frankly, there would have been no time for it either. I don't think. No, but the, the, you can see a lesser version of the episode. You can see a season one version of this episode where that's where they would have gone with it. You know. What you know, and and what I like about Shelby is that. You know, when she comes onto the ship and she is talking to Riker and she's sort of like assuming that she's going to be the first, she's yeah. she's, she's gunning for his seat because yeah. she's assuming he's going to take command of the Melbourne. And when it becomes clear that he's not going to do that or he hasn't decided to do that, she changes her tactics and she does it in a very interesting way. She is undermining Riker at every opportunity, not filling him in on what she's doing, but doing it in such a way that makes her look really good because she's doing her job. She doesn't beam down to the planet and not tell Riker because she's doing something nefarious. She did it for a reason. 
she wanted Riker to know that she beamed down to the planet for a reason and did not tell him. She wants to put that dig into him because I think that she is sowing the seeds for Riker's eventual dismissal from the post. And, uh, you know, I... Well, I mean, I you know, that that's where, you know, she does say, you know, the, again, Riker may be the best person for the job now, but why if he wasn't... keeps in this way, he might not be. When she tells Picard of her alternative plan, which, you know, Picard does say, you know, it's a fallback, but he does accept the plan. Um, you know, that there's that almost that implication that Riker wasn't going to tell Picard, or maybe... You know, we we don't exactly hear how Shelby pitched it to Picard, but she could have done it in such a way where she was implying. And let's that. be clear, they they there was not a lot of time for her to pitch the idea to Picard. I mean, she no. she left the conference room, and, and and Riker had that brief conversation with Jordy, and then immediately went to the she captain. She made a beeline. And, yeah, she was like there in like a minute. Um, and she's I mean, she's already, frankly, being the one who's going to Picard and bringing up alternative plans, which is the job. <laughs> Well, and here, you know, and, and you can ask questions. I mean, like, why wasn't Riker uh, monitoring weather conditions on the planet? You know, why wasn't Riker th- thinking about ways to distract the Borg? You know, and maybe he was. We don't know. And maybe he thought it was unimportant. I mean, there's a there's a degree to which we're not sure if her actions are correct or not, because while she is ambitious and while she does get the job done, she also doesn't have as much experience and yeah. she also doesn't have as much uh, uh, judgment, frankly, as Riker. I, and, so, and I think it makes it clear that she is being a little maybe too reckless right now. But that said, um, there is that there is an exchange between Picard and Riker where, you know, and, and I think it's funny that part of the reason that Riker gets so pissed at her is because he is seeing his worst qualities. He is seeing what he looked like when he was green and reckless and, you know, unseasoned. And it's bothering him because he's seeing probably the same exact mistakes that he made once upon a time. But, you know, Picard, he, you know, Picard says to him, you know, yeah, you were that way with the implication that, yeah, if she's reckless right now, you know, the best way that they could deal with that is put her in a position where she does have a lot of responsibility and, you know, does need a high degree of discipline, which she can. And she's going, she's going to meet the job rather than the job meeting her. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. she, yeah, that's, you know, she may be reckless now, you know, two years in this position and she, she will be you, you know? And, 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 and Shelby, I, 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 you know, I, I, I hesitate to say that, that Shelby is, 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 is doing a good job at this, of course, because, you know, I think that, if you look at that that scene in the turbo lift where it all comes to a head, and that, I mean that's a pretty brutal scene to watch, yeah. frankly, where she's just kind of like you're in my way. Um, yeah, again, we've never seen right, that right, bloody of a conflict between two people. We've never seen that bloody of a conflict between between two characters on the show. It was certainly not Starfleet people. Uh, we've never seen Riker get talked to that way. Yeah, and I don't know, but 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 I'm not sure that that was the right uh, tactical move for Shelby. Like. Make, making it that clear that she is his enemy uh, may have been a mistake because I because I think that you get the sense from Riker that he's a very easygoing guy, but he also is very very a- a- aggressive when he needs to be. And I think what what maybe what we're supposed to take away from that is Shelby hasn't learned the difference yet, and and, and Shelby doesn't know when to lay off, and and she's young, frankly. So yeah. there is a degree to which I think Riker realizes I, that she's just kind of 
you know, she at, at first he thinks that she's just annoying and needs to be batted down, and and then I think he realizes that she's a real threat. But at the same time, I think Shelby overestimates her own abilities. I think there's a degree to which they might just be feedback looping. You know, she's she's playing this a little too aggressively which is putting him on the defensive, which is making him want to counter her, which is making her want to act more aggressively, which is putting him more on the defensive. And they're just kind of, you know, neither of them. They're both having a pissing contest in this episode, really. Well, and as you said before, they're, they're, they're two very similar people. Yeah, they're, they're neither of them, probably neither of, as you said, neither of them are used to being talked to like that. I mean, the Admiral thinks the world of this woman and... You know, Picard does think the world of Riker. Um, and, you know, so their superiors, they're used to their superiors giving them probably a lot of leeway. Mm-hmm. I yeah. would assume she, in her job, doesn't really take too many orders or she doesn't really probably need too many orders. I'm sure that the, I'm sure that her superior, if that's the Admiral, just gives her general things and you know she just kind of runs with well he even says as much where he's like i've learned to give her a wide leeway if i want anything done yeah exactly and that's you know but would that work on the enterprise well that's the thing i don't know if it would i I don't know you know that's the interesting question of the episode is that uh there's another level to it which is yeah shelby wants the job but but is the job right for her is the enterprise the right ship for her i don't know that it is frankly I don't know that she would fit in there, and I don't know that she would work well with Picard. You know, Picard isn't really the kind of captain who who uh, lets his crew just go off and do their own thing, you know? Yeah. So he's he's not a by-the-book guy, but I think he's, uh, uh, you know, he, he wants to know what's going on. She's the kind of person who she'll make a great captain. She might not make a good first mate. Well, I think that she would make a good first officer for the right kind of captain. Yeah. I, I just don't know that Picard is that captain. And that's fair, yeah. You know, and I think that, that, that her ambition is maybe blinding her to that fact as well. You know, let, let's say that, that you, know, you, know, on a, you know, if this show had been made today and, you know, they didn't write characters out like this in, in, in shows of this era, really, um, you know, if it actually was a real possibility that Riker was going to leave the show and uh, that, that she was going to step in and be the first officer, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that, that, that she would last more than a season yeah. or two. You know? Or without some drastic changes in her. Yeah, and I think that would be an interesting character arc. I mean, yeah. what what you know, I don't I don't know if we want to get into speculation too much, but I am curious to think to know what you would think about that if if the show actually did go down that road. You know, let's say the next episode is well, they rescue Picard because of course they're going to rescue yeah. Picard. I mean, that's not really a question, but yeah, this show is not are they going to rescue Picard from the Borg, but how? Right. But but it, when they do that, let's say that this is a different type of show and and it, you know, Jonathan Frakes leaves the show and Shelby becomes the first officer. Is that something that you would want to see? Is that something that would be worthwhile to see? I don't know. It's the kind, well, it's the kind of show that wouldn't have happened in the '90s and would have happened in the 2000s. Yeah, sure. I guess that's just yeah. Are we still in the 2000s? I think we're in the 2010s now. Well, it would have happened in the 2000s. Why? Because there were a lot of shows that did that kind of thing. That's when you know shows really started getting into killing characters off or having characters leave. I want to talk as well about the end of the episode because you seem to really buy into it. I mean, this is the first cliffhanger the show has done. Uh, This was obviously, you know, them throwing down the gauntlet and saying, yeah, Yeah, you're going to come back next year. Yeah, of course. Uh, 
did that work for you? Oh yeah. I again I, I when they captured Picard, I began thinking like, oh, maybe this is, you know, then he becomes, you know, a Borg at this point. You know, I I kind of figured then you know, when they said we need a spokesperson and we were picking you, like, I'm like, okay, that's where they're going to go with this. That said, you know, the framing of the shot when he turns around and he has the Borg thing, like, that was effective. That was very, it was very well framed. It was very, you know, Picard as a Borg is creepy. It's, I, I thought it was well done. It worked for me. I liked seeing Crusher in an action sequence. I liked, you know, that again, it's an episode where everybody had something to do, and I do like those. We get a good Geordie role. I love Geordie roles. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen one before, but that's always kind of this, like, running <laughs> joke. He does these things where it's these unnecessary roles and closing <laughs> doors. Like, what are you doing, Geordie? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I think, you know, it, it's funny because I think the end of the episode really does tie into a lot of what we've been talking about because... You know, they, they, they do attempt to, and they have that great, you know, standoff as well on the bridge where uh, Troy is like, no, Riker, you, you can't lead the away team. You're, that would be inappropriate. You're now the captain. She's basically doing Riker's job for him, you know, telling Riker what yeah. he would tell Picard. Well, I mean, and, and I like the fact that Riker immediately backs down and, and lets Shelby go because, you know, as far as the show will push this sort of conflict at the end of the day, this is a universe where people yeah. do their jobs for first and foremost in a very professional manner. And that is the professional thing to do. That is the right thing to do. Yeah, I think they kind of made it clear that, you know, Riker go offering to go, you know, wanting to go on the away mess on the way team was his part his part in the pissing contest because you know Shelby is right she is better to be on I disagree I I don't think that that was his his one of his shots in the pissing contest he does want a risky card yeah I just think that that is what he was used to doing Hmm. he didn't think about it frankly that's true um and and at the end of the episode of course when he makes the decision to fire on the ship after Lacutus of Borg is talking to them I think that's a very powerful moment because I think that that's Riker acknowledging that they need to take the shot you know yeah they, he, they he, it's, it's him saying picard is dead that yeah that picard is dead we can't rescue him and and that's kind of the moment the capper of his personal growth in this episode where you know he's not sure if he wants to be the captain he wants to be the captain of the enterprise he's giving him shit he's the captain of the enterprise he's giving suddenly. himself a battle of an official battlefield promotion by taking that shot <laughs> you got you got what you wanted is this how you wanted to get it probably not yeah. you're, you're killing picard yeah. um it's it's a pretty ballsy ending yeah no that that's that's an interesting implication of it I liked this episode very much. Good, I'm glad. If uh, you didn't like it, I would be worried. I don't know where they're gonna go with it. Well, I think that's a again they 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 stop the Borg threat at least for another year. They save Picard. Those I know happen, obviously. But again, it's the how and what are the implications of that, and how do they how do they get over that? You know. Crusher says she can probably fix him, and that's probably how they're going to angle it. But, yeah, she's got to learn. They're going to learn a lot about the Borg in the next episode. Yeah, I would say so. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, uh, when, when the show comes back, you know, in the fourth season, which will be next week for us. Yay! Uh, you, didn't, you don't have to wait a whole, a whole oh uh, my summer. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's true. I was like, oh, man, I have to wait a week like they did on TV. And I'm like, I would have to wait three months. Yeah. Um, that... Uh, I think the show has officially arrived. Like, you know, we haven't really done sort of the, 
who I haven't talked a lot about the third season on, as an overview, and I, I don't know that there's a lot to say about it now, but I think in general, um, you know, for, for me at least, it's been uh, a treat to watch the third season again because I, I I think that this is a season that I was 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 probably weirdly most unfamiliar with because I sort of revisit a lot of the big episodes of the season yeah. a lot more than I do um, a lot of the lo- smaller episodes and there are a lot of small episodes in this season that I really like yeah um, you know I'm excited to go into the fourth season because I really like the fourth season I think there's a lot of good stuff in there uh, but I think that you know on the whole. This is one of the best episodes of the show. It's the best ending to a season I think that the show ever does. And, you know, it, I, I'm glad that you're enjoying yeah. it because I think that, you know, it, it's a testament to the show. I think that, you know, someone who is completely unfamiliar with Star Trek can go from, you know, watching the original series to the animated series to the movies to the next generation and, and, and really get into it, really lock into what the show is trying to do. Well, it's kind of like Stockholm Syndrome in a way. It could be. Yeah, maybe you actually don't like Star Trek. At I all. just, you know, it's a, it's the kind of thing where I don't have a choice. I am locked into this for the next, you know, seven years or however long your plan is. So it's like I might as well just enjoy it. But doing Enterprise is going to be tough. <laughs> I, you know, we we joke about it though, but I I I don't know. I mean, you know, I still don't know if I would consider you a Trekkie, but. Uh, I think that, that that I enjoy the trek that I've seen so far. Yeah, and I think that that's good. I, I if, like I if, like that okay. the show is working for you. If you were to die, um, I would probably watch a couple more episodes. Okay, that that's high praise. Yeah. All right. I really just want to meet Tuvok. That's all I care about. <laughs> uh, well, I will give this uh, ten battlefield promotions. Ten battlefield promotions. Okay. That's a lot of Battlefield promotions. You need to rate it. Okay, I'll give it nine. Nine? Yeah, because it had no ending. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right, the, other, s- the other Battlefield promotion will happen next week. Yes. Well, next week, uh, we are diving into the fourth season of The Next Generation by talking about family and brothers. I'm kidding. We're talking about Best of Both Worlds Part 2 and Family. I got you for a minute, though. Richard looked really worried. Wait, wait, wait. Is the third episode called Brothers? The third episode of the season is actually called Brothers, oh, yes. Oh, and then there's like... So instead of like uh, the now, and it's all just like relationships. Yes, you know? yeah. So like episode the, the five first, is like it called like and. Well, it's really weird. So we have Best of Both Worlds Part 2, then Family, then Brothers, then Sisters, then Nieces, then Nephews, then Aunts, then Uncles, then Mothers, then Fathers. Oh, God. Mothers is going to be a little Kanana Troy episode. Then Grandmothers, it? then Grandfathers. Then they go into, uh, weirdly enough... Cousins, and then there's another episode called Cousins, which is about male cousins and then female cousins, which, you know, okay, not the best name, but it's a little confusing. Well, it's the kind of thing with, like, in, like, French it makes sense because there's, like, a different word. Yeah. Well, it's a little weird, like, when you go to a Star Trek convention and, you like, the people line up to ask questions of the writers and they're always like, oh, in the episode Cousins, and they have to kind of, like, oh, and it's, like, an inflection thing. And so if you're really a good Trekkie, you know the right inflection to put on each episode of Cousins. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So So, so that's why I'm not a Trekkie because I don't... Know the right, uh, but maybe after I see the episode, it'll make sense. I think so. Yeah. So, okay. so, so look forward to an entire season of familiar obligations. Okay, is what I'm saying. <laughs>